good morning, Watermark. Moms, happy Mother's Day. Again, like the 15th time uh, today. We can't say it uh, enough. And uh, we are grateful for you. We are really glad uh, that you're here. So a couple years ago, uh, my oldest daughter, Maddie, and I were in Scotland. We were in the town of Edinburgh. Woke up early, got a cup of coffee, hit the castle, and we're walking down the main street. And because we were going to go see something that I was really uh, excited to see. I'd heard about this place. Um, didn't know if it was going to really be the way that, uh, it, you know, that it had been, been portrayed uh, to me. But I, was, I remember just being really, really uh, excited. So we got there. We had to look around for a minute to kind of find it. And uh, when we got there, uh, this is what we saw. And so uh, if you, there's no way unless you've got, you know, superhuman eyes, uh, you can tell. But it says, uh, basically, here lies John Knox. And it is uh, John Knox's grape. Who's John Knox? If you're not a church history nerd like me, you have no idea who that is. Uh, this guy was amazing. And so we had Luther in Germany. We had Calvin in Switzerland and in France. And we had John Knox in uh, Scotland. who was friends with, uh, with um, Calvin and some of those guys. And he really reformed uh, the church. And we actually, you know, our, our Puritan roots in, in many respects um, come from John Knox. Uh, this guy taught salvation by grace through faith, uh, which the church was slipping from and taught the scriptures as authoritative. And the guy was just doggone fierce. And Queen Mary was famous for saying that she feared the prayers of Knox more than the armies of all her enemies. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? This guy, this guy uh, he was a stalwart and uh, he is, he's a hero. But um, what you can't tell from that first uh, picture is actually where his grave lies. And so if you zoom out a little bit, this is what you see. <laughs> is that amazing? Like he is buried under a parking lot. They pulled up his tombstone and just uh, blacktopped all of it and left a little plaque there so that now, you know, somebody's Peugeot comes by every day and uh, leaks oil uh, on it. And so my daughter and I were there and we laughed. And I, I, mean, I had some pretty serious uh, thoughts, like um, truly, uh, I thought about the brevity of life, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 90, 12. Uh, Moses said, teach us a number of our days are right so we may gain a heart of wisdom. Like I wanna live like life is short on this side of eternity and, and John Knox did. I, I remembered uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 11, that uh, no one remembers the former generations, right? Uh, we're gonna, people are gonna forget me. My great-grandkids will have no idea who I am. I'm not the most important Christian uh, in the country, and so uh, if they did pave over my grave, they wouldn't even do me uh, the solid of putting a plaque there, right? They're just gonna forget about me. And I wanna live uh, not to make a name for myself or somehow um, you know, create a tombstone that people will come back and visit. I wanna invest then in things that matter, things that are eternal like John Knox did. And what was most important to John, other than, his, uh, other than his savior, was his church. He thought and taught about the church all the time. And his very last prayer, right before he died, and he's on his deathbed, and he says, uh, he prayed, God grant true pastors for thy kirk, or church, as, uh, as we'd be translated today. God, give us true pastors. I want the church to continue. I'm going to be gone. Would you help the church continue and give it good leadership on his deathbed? Which is a pretty good segue into 2 Timothy chapter 3. We know Paul is in prison, and these are his last thoughts to young Timothy, the, a pastor of a church 
Uh, he knew he was going on. He was going to die soon. He had lived a life really uh, in, in worship uh, to God. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. And he said, Timothy, here's some last things I need to tell you. These are really important things. Um, and we're going to move quick. So um, we are been kind of taking little chunks of uh, scripture here. And uh, we're going to cover chapter 3 uh, today and chapter 4 next week. And we will be done uh, with this series on last words. I had a seminary prof one time. And the first day of class, he said, uh, gentlemen, we are going to uh, at times move very, very quickly uh, through the material. And at times we are going to stay and stop. And uh, he said, this is going to be a class of and and um, so previously uh, in this series, we have been doing, and today and next week, we're going to be, okay? Uh, so if you got your Bibles, open them. Chapter three, uh, here we go. If I was gonna break down this chapter into an outline, it would be three parts. First, to inspect for predators, um, one through nine. Expect persecution, 12 through 13. And respect God's word, 14 and 16. We've also got a great little Mother's Day Easter egg uh, here that uh, I'll share with you. So verse one, Paul to Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible days, uh, terrible times in the last days. These are the days that are coming right after my death, Timothy, and also until Christ returns. Uh, and there's some people that you're going to need to look out for. Who are these people? Well, these people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Whew. Have nothing to do with such people. And if I was going to summarize the vices there, this is pretty common uh, during this time you create kind of a vice list and say, don't do that, do this. Um, these are people who love themselves. And then these are the actions that they take coming out of that. They love themselves, which we know as Christians is the exact opposite of the way we're supposed to uh, conduct ourselves. Matthew 22 and 37, Jesus was asking, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, really easy, you, you love God. And the second one, the second most imp uh, important commandment is that you love others. You love God, you love others. And these people, they love themselves. They love themselves more than God and more than others. And so they do things they do things we're going to see here uh, in a second that are uh, destructive to the church. And so we read these lists. Paul's telling us to look out for them, but we always, always are supposed to see a list like this and look, look for ourselves. Look at ourselves. Um, be introspective. For me, as I was thinking about uh, this list, it was ungratefulness uh, that really popped. Coming out of this year, um, you know, just dealing with all the chaos. And I remember myself so many times just going, I can't wait to not wear a mask, to not get in a fight to be able to hop on an airplane, you know, and I was like, ah, I just want, I was forward looking and not grateful for my family and some of the great things that I had. I was, I was thinking I, I, I could have been more grateful. I need to be more grateful. And there's so many sins here, but I'll, I'll call out one. Uh, it's Mother's Day, students. <laughs> if he caught it in verse two, one of the things he says is gonna characterize these people is that they're disobedient to their parents, right? It's Mother's Day, obey your mom. Okay, um, and if you are a believer and you say, I follow Christ and I want to obey him, I want to follow his commandments, part of that, right, we know it's one of the 10 commandments is that we obey our parents. And it comes with a promise that it will go well with you. 
Right, so I, I know some of their rules are stupid, right? Um, but you'll get to be a parent and you get to create your own stupid rules and the cycle will continue. It's, it's what's really fun, okay? But while you're there, if they're not asking you to sin and it's not crazy, you obey them as an act of worship, okay? Um, it doesn't mean that um, Paul's not saying that we need to, uh, when this whole idea of having nothing to do with such people, it doesn't mean that uh, we, we shut out anyone who's sinful because we ourselves know that uh, we're, we're not sinless. Paul himself gives me great comfort in Romans 7, says that uh, sometimes he does things he doesn't want to do. He sins and he fights it. He's not marked by it. He's not characterized by it. It doesn't mean that we don't spend time with non-believers. That's the part of the, the argument of 1 Corinthians uh, five, Paul says, hey, if we're going to try to spend time with uh, only people who don't sin, we're going to have to exit this earth, right? Like we can't even spend time with ourselves. <laughs> so that's not what he's talking about. He could you be, spend time with non-believers, people who act like non-believers. Don't be influenced by them. Serve them. Love them. He's talking about the church. He's talking about preserving the integrity of the church. But these would apply to you. These would apply to you if they mark you. Or I think if you find yourself either uh, denying or defending them. Right? If someone came to you and said, um, hey, hey, John, they came to me and they said, John, uh, we think that you are prideful. Like several of us, we think that you're prideful. And I go, no, that's not true. Right? I deny it. And I go, you guys, are all, you guys all see incorrectly. And I'm denying what you say. Or defending, John, we think that you are unforgiving. And I'll go, no, you know what? I'm justified in this one. And I'm going to defend my unforgiving position. If you find yourself denying or defending your sin, you are headed for destruction. Both for you and for God's church. Verse 6, Paul keeps going. Why, why should we look out for these people? Right? Because they do damage. These are the kinds of people who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down by sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They're always learning but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. And so these are women probably who had no access to uh, education and they wanted to be close to God. And these guys, these false prophets would come in and they would sell them a bill of goods and they would take advantage of them. They did lots of damage. In verse 8, just as uh, Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, these were the magicians that kind of appeared to have power uh, during, the, um, during the struggle with Moses until God said, hey, I've had enough. You guys, you know, uh, you're two-bit players uh, in here. And um, so also these teachers oppose the truth, and they're men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So it's not hard to kind of find some parallels today to some of these, um, these false prophets, some of these predators. I thought about bringing a clip today, but I just didn't want to give these guys any airtime. So he's prosperity. I was a prosperity preacher. And uh, I'm sure you could Google it. I, I probably wouldn't, uh, actually. <laughs> so uh, he's standing on the tarmac as his second or third new plane is rolling down. And he is just drunk with excitement. He's like kind of lost his mind. And he points at the camera and he says, do you guys like this plane? Do you guys like this plane? Well, you should, because you bought it. And he starts laughing. Just like these false prophets had wormed their way in to get something, um, people are giving credit cards and routing numbers all day long um, to these predators. And that's what they are. Have nothing to do with such 
men have nothing to do with such men. And so predators aren't just there on TV. They can be anywhere. They can be anywhere in the church. And that's why Paul, Paul wants us to get this. And, and friends, I would tell you, if anyone has ever used their position or twisted a verse uh, to somehow uh, promise or insinuate forgiveness of sins or somehow closeness to God in, ex- in exchange for th- something financially, emotionally, physically, or sexually, it's not okay. They're a predator. And you can't let that happen, and you need to raise your hand and let someone know. And we need to look out for uh, each other. And there's, boy, there's no like um, clever, pithy, uh, feel-good quote or story here. Like, what's happened in the church, what's been exposed in the church the last several years has been horrific. Horrific. And a lot of times it's been associated with the Catholic church, and sure, uh, it's happened there, but it's happened in all churches. Because the people, in, in part, they're, they're always uh, accountable for their own sins. But the people of God have not paid attention. And they've not been on the lookout for these predators. And they've not leaned in, asked the second question, raised their hand, reported, and were dogged uh, about it. And so people have had horrendous things done to them. Friends, we have to look out for um, these predators, both to protect ourselves. And when we do that, we protect uh, the body of Christ. Number one, we need to inspect for predators. Number two, we need to expect persecution. Paul says in verse 10, you, however, he's talking to Timothy, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Hey, Timothy, these guys were about them. You know me. You've been close to me. You've been behind closed doors with me. You know that my ministry was about and out of a love for God and love for others. You know that. Follow that example. Stay far away from um, these other predators. And you know about, verse 11, my persecutions, my sufferings. And what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch? That's where um, he was driven from the area, Iconium, where they uh, threatened to stone him. And Lystra, where they uh, drug him out, stoned him, and left him for dead. You know, you know about this, Timothy. And you know that I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And in fact, anyone that wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, let me be really, really clear. If you want to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted, and not only you, but your church, and you need to get them ready. You need to get all the believers ready for persecution because it's coming and it did and it will today i don't imagine you know, at your mother's day lunch uh you know 100 people are going to pick up rocks and throw them at you because of your faith okay. that's probably not going to happen uh today uh, anyway but you better believe that you if you choose to live a godly life there's going to be times when you're looked down upon when you're ridic- ridiculed shut down shunned passed over or canceled because of your faith. And the question is, are you gonna shrink back? Will I shrink back? Will we shrink back? Or will we flinch? Will we follow Christ through that? Because he is our, pre- our treasure, he's our prize, he's what we want more than being accepted 
how are we going to do? And I've, I've walked and just tried to recommit myself this week. Like, you know, if it, if it came to that, you know, God, I, I want to make sure that I don't, I don't flinch. And I had a pastor friend who um, was getting ready for his sabbatical and turned in his plan. He didn't have a lot on his plan, but one of them was he wanted to get ready to go to jail. And I said, hey, bro, like, what's coming out that I don't, that I don't know about? And he said, Here, here's what I think, John. I think in my lifetime, if I continue to preach all of God's word, I'm going to run afoul of the law. And I'm going to have to make a choice. Do I do that uh, and suffer the consequences, including imprisonment, or do I shrink back? And I just want to make sure when that time comes that I'm ready. Like, what would my story be? What would your story be? What would your story be if faced by persecution? Well, I'd love for you to watch and be encouraged by a story from our body uh, that speaks to just that. So we're just going to sync up our cameras. Take one. I still had a mountain of work to do when a towering 610 man in a dark coat walked into my law office in Romania. Suddenly, he pulled a gun from his coat, pointed at me, screaming, you have ignored all our warnings. I'm here to kill you. My heart raced as my assassin explained how he would carry out my execution. I grew up in communist Romania during the dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu, who transformed Romania into a land of lies and a prison land, where questioning the government could lead to jail, imprisonment for the rest of your life, or even death. That created in me an insecurity and also a passion to fight for truth and justice. So I went to law school. As a lawyer, I found success and had everything I wanted. But inside of me, I was the poorest person in the world, still looking for the truth. Few years into practicing law, a former client came into my office. He always seemed to be joyful in a joyless land. We talked, and that day he invited me to his church. It was dangerous, but I went. The pastor came, opened the Bible, and read John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Then I realized I had been looking for the truth in the wrong place. Jesus is the truth. That day I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior and His divine call on my life to defend Christians persecuted by the Romanian government. Soon, my legal work made me a target 
of the government who labeled me a traitor and an enemy of the state. I was often kidnapped, daily interrogated, beaten, tortured, and placed under house arrest. But in all those circumstances, I never felt alone. Even in the interrogation rooms, I felt Christ was with me there. So in his power, I was able to tell my cruel interrogators about his love, saying, I don't like what you're doing, but God loves you, and I choose to love you too. Shocked by my words and my appearance full of blood, they turned their heads away, crying. They did not know what to do with me. Finally, in desperation, the dictator sent an assassin to my office to kill me. As my assassin arrived in my office, pointed his gun at me, I feared for my life. But I heard God's whisper, share the gospel with him. And I started to share the gospel word by word from the Bible. And I watch my assassin melting it under God's power. He put the gun on the table. His shoulder relaxed. He nodded several times. And at the end, he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. I should be dead, but our unstoppable God had other plans. A few years later, we as a family were exiled to America. After I learned English, I went for the second time to law school, now here in Dallas, Texas, and finally I was able to practice law again, and I opened my own law firm. After practicing for years in America, I never expected to be confronted by anything or anyone from my former life in Romania. Until one day, a 6'10 tall man with a tiny Romanian accent walked into my office. I was surprised and soon alarmed. He started to ask questions about my life or my children's life back in Romania. Noticing my panic, the man asked, do you recognize me, Virginia? Showing me his old Romanian Securitate ID. So here in Dallas, Texas, I was face to face with my assassin again. Immediately, I started to pray, and finally I answer, you have changed a lot. Yes, he responded, I'm older. My hair is almost white, and I don't kill people anymore. He explained that after revolution, 
He enrolled in the theological seminary in Bucharest, built a church, opened a Christian school, and did many, many other things to expand the gospel in the land that was so hostile to it before. He was here in Texas to visit his son, a pastor in this area, and to seek my legal advice as the city had refused to allow his son and his congregation to build a church in that area. My mind flashed back to the terrifying circumstances in Romania when I faced persecution, when my cruel interrogators beat me and pushed me into walls. They had no idea that when they pushed me into walls, they pushed me into the loving arms of God, and they were falling into His arms too. If the truth lives in us, lies cannot overpower us. If our souls are free, no power on earth can enslave us. If God gives us His victories, defeat is impossible. Our God is unstoppable. And church, when we serve Him, so are we. I want to be more like that. Um, persecution isn't just something that happened formerly in Eastern Bloc countries. It's going on right now all around the world. And uh, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, Open Doors uh, estimates that one in eight Christians around the world are either being persecuted or harassed uh, right now. And if you don't know uh, the organization Voice of the Martyrs, I would encourage you to go to persecution.com and see what is going on uh, around the world uh, for people who share the same faith as us. Brothers and sisters in Christ are losing their life right now in Africa, and believers all around the world are being harassed, detained, beaten. And, um, and we need to, at a minimum, pray. And if God would lead you, uh, some, something else. But it, it may come, it may come for us, and we don't need to fear it. We know how the story ends. We are on the winning team, Jesus will win. That's how, that's how the story ends, and it could be hard. Uh, that happened, the church sometimes grows, sometimes it doesn't. It's always purified, and somehow God receives glory, but um, we, need to, we need to be ready. But again, most of us probably, we're not gonna experience that kind of persecution anytime soon. Uh, it's gonna be a whole lot more like a lazy river. Right? You guys know, uh, dads, you know, specifically Lazy River, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. Uh, you hop in a Lazy River and you're going down, uh, just hoping, you put your sunglasses on, hoping you can get just like a millisecond uh, of sleep, you know, and just kind of uh, relax there. All the while the kids are splashing you and, you know, throwing balls at you and tipping you uh, over and then you hop back in and hope against hope that you will get to sleep this time. Uh, and then inevitably something like this happens. Hey dad, I, I lost... I lost my, uh, my goggles. Okay, buddy, well, where did you put them? And they look up the lazy river and they go, way, way up there on the ledge. Like, come on, man, you know? And so you begin your trudge uh, against the flow, right? And as you do, like you're, you're sweating, you know, 
and everyone else is just enjoying their ride down there, you know, and they're like raising a glass to you, you know, hey buddy. Uh, and then, uh, you know, some will say something funny and then, you know, of course, there's the Weisenheimer, he's like, hey dude, it's a whole lot easier if you go this way, you know. No kidding, Einstein, you know. And so, it would be really, really easy to hop on your tube and take it wherever it takes you. It's, you have to do nothing but just be lazy. And a lot of us, that's the way our faith is. There really is no difference. There's nothing hard about our faith because we don't stand out in any way that would cause us to be persecuted or maligned, looked down upon, or canceled. And if that's the case, if there's no one in your life that goes, man, you're, you're a little weird. Or they would say or snicker, uh, you know, kind of behind your back, some derogatory uh, phrase, term, or insinuate something about your intelligence, then it should give you pause. Those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're to ins- um, make sure we, that we uh, inspect for predators, that we expect persecution, that we respect God's word. Verse 14. Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you know the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Mother's Day Easter egg because we know in 2 Timothy 1.5 that Timothy learned the Scriptures from his mom Eunice and his grandmother Lois. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't have a stack of books or any Bible software, he spent time with his mom and his grandmother. And they taught him the scriptures. And here he is now. Yeah, they didn't know at the time. He's just a snotty-nosed kid, you know, who uh, messed things up and probably spilled his milk just like all the other kids. But they built into him. And here he is, years later, a pillar of the New Testament church. They had no idea. Moms, you shape the church because you shape children. And to the extent that you've done that for your children, I know they would tell you things, we would tell you things corporately because we're the beneficiaries of the investment that you've made uh, in your kids. And if you haven't made spiritual investments in your kids, it's not too late, it's not too late to pick up God's word, to begin to study it, begin to pray it for uh, your kids or your grandkids and share what it is that you're learning and how you're trying to obey it. It's not too late. Moms, you've got incredible, incredible power. Grandmothers, you have incredible power. A few years ago, I was in Louisiana, and we were taking a tour. We were going to the battle site of 1812, which is pretty unimpressive uh, if you've been there, candidly. Uh, but uh, this part was cool. Uh, we heard about all the history of uh, Louisiana and uh, New Orleans. And so uh, I remembered this part, that the French were the first uh, Europeans to settle uh, in uh, Louisiana. And so that's why you have all of this French influence. But what I'd forgotten was the last 40 years before the Louisiana Purchase, it was actually uh, controlled by the Spanish. 40 years, which should be enough to uh, supplant all of that, change the culture, change the language, the customs. And as if the the tour guide had probably gotten this question a thousand times, uh, why is it more, way more French than Spanish? He goes, and you know, just like, pause for dramatic effect. And do you know why there's no Spanish influence in Louisiana? No, it's, you know, so I was thinking it, he goes, no Spanish mothers. And he said what happened was when the French came, they brought their whole families, including moms, and it was the moms who passed on the culture, they passed on the ways, the food, the religion. 
And when the Spanish took over, they thought, you know what, this place is a little too wild and a little too crazy for uh, women, so let's don't send them there. And they didn't have the moms to pass on the customs, the food, the religion, the ethos. And that's why it's French and not Spanish. Moms, moms, literally, you shape nations because you shape children. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done, the ways you've sacrificed your main list of adjectives here. We could go on, right? Thanks for, thanks for keeping us alive, right? Thanks for feeding us, uh, making us wear our seatbelt, brushing our teeth, going to bed on time, doing our homework, picking up our stuff. Thanks for believing in us. Right? Thanks for telling us we had what it takes. And, uh, and we're grateful. We're grateful. You play an important role in God's kingdom. So do you, grandmothers. Uh, we're living a whole lot longer these days, and uh, you have a lot more to offer um, than I think you think. And um, be engaged. And then, you know, as we said earlier, as Jermaine said earlier, if this is um, not your story, if you want children and don't have children, um, ladies, I would still look to be a Lois and a Eunice to someone else. And this body is filled with people who've been impacted by women who were not their biological moms. Moms, thank you. And thank you. Uh, Christian moms for teaching us uh, the scripture. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Paul says this scripture, these, the, the Bible as we know it, is breathed by God. He creates a new word and says this isn't anywhere else because it's not like anything else. So these are the literal words of God. First Peter, or Peter says that um, that the authors were moved along by the Holy Spirit. God had something to say. He said it through men who wrote it down, sometimes in their own syntax and their own, uh, with their own personalities. But he wanted to speak to mankind, and he wanted it preserved, and he used the scriptures to do that. It is God's word. One of my favorite moments has ever happened here on this platform. Um, John Piper is a pastor an author, he sat here and it was a Q&A session. And someone asked, how do you hear the voice of God? And in a way that only John Piper can do with kind of a, a snarky, prophetic uh, kind of tone, he picked up his Bible and he said, do you, I, I, can't, I can't do it, John Piper, but uh, he said, uh, open your Bible. You wanna hear the voice of God? You open your Bible and you read it out loud. That is the voice and word of God. And he closed his Bible and put it down and no one, no one said anything uh, for a while. He's right, it's the word of God. And it's useful for all kinds of things. I'd, I'd love to talk about doctrines and a whole lot of other things. Paul just says, hey, there's a, there's a few things here that uh, it's useful for. And um, I thought this week, among all the different ways I could take this passage, how I've been really, really grateful for others in my life who have known the scriptures. And what a beneficiary, how I've been a beneficiary of their knowledge, their love, their study of the scriptures. Uh, thinking first about teaching, Paul says, uh, which is really kind of to help us understand what's right. Helping us grasp scriptures. And when I was 15 years old, uh, moved to a new city, to a new school, first day of school, I sit down in uh, biology class next to uh, my friend, Travis Moffat. And Travis was someone whose parents had taught him uh, the word of God and he had studied it himself. I had a lot of questions. God was ch just chasing me down. And I was filled with questions. 
And Travis had answers. And they came from the scriptures. And I would continue to ask him, well, but, but how good do you have to be to get to God? And he would say, it's not, John, it's not what you do. It's what Christ has done. And he'd open to verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and so it showed me that it was by grace that I could be saved through faith, not, not by works. And I was so grateful for Travis and the way he taught me, the way he was ready. And I trusted Christ not too long afterwards. Rebuking and correcting is probably talking about doctrine here, making sure that we understand doctrine correctly. When I was in college, I worked at a camp and I uh, was a Christian camp and I actually was reading this passage and rather than it being a comfort to me, it actually really, really unsettled me. All scripture is God breathed, Paul says. So I'm thinking, he's probably talking about the Old Testament, maybe about the words of Jesus. That makes sense to me. They were actually Jesus' words. But he's not talking about his own writings, right? No one, he's not saying that. He's not saying this thing that I write you is actually scripture, which now poses a serious problem to me because I've literally banked my eternity on the writings of Paul. And if this isn't scripture, like I, I'm in big trouble. And I, I was really unsettled. I talked to a friend and, uh, you know, went to bed, woke up the next morning and go, you know, I, I, I'm, li I'm literally at a fork in the road here. This is all true or it's not. I'm all in or I'm not. And that same college kid, <laughs> he was from Baylor University uh, of all places. Um, I thought it was not a derogatory statement. I just, um, <laughs> sick him, that's right. He came and he said, hey, John, um, you know, it's, it's ironic that we were looking at 2 Timothy 3.16. He said, I thought of a verse last night that I wanted to share with you. It's Peter, right? 2 Peter 3.16, which says this. He's, Peter is talking about Paul. He's, talk, he's going this section of Paul, but then in verse 16, he says, his letters, Paul's letters, contain some of the things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Check this out as they do the other scriptures. And he said, John, Peter understood that, that Paul's writings were scripture and they were authoritative, as did the early church. Literally saved my faith. I'm all in. Because, among other things, uh, that, that, that passage and others that people have shared with me, they've trained, they've rebuked, they've corrected, they've, they've trained me in righteousness. My wife is kept me from so many stupid decisions because of her knowledge of God's word. I've been great, I've been so grateful, so grateful for the ways my brothers and sisters in Christ know God's word. And it's made me want to know it more and share it more broadly. And so if you don't know God's word as you should or know that um, you would like to, um, I'd commend to you to take a next wise step. Jointhejourney.com is our reading through the scriptures. Um, another thing that's been really helpful to a lot of people is uh, the Bible recap. You can find out about that uh, online. And then I would always commend to you uh, a class here we have called Equip Disciple. If you want to know, um, know God's word, know how to study it, know how to pray it, know how to share it, I couldn't commend it more highly to you. And I hope we're a people who know God's word and share it, you know, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we can all be built up. But I, I hope also that we're a congregation, we're a people that encourages each other with scripture. 
We share the promises and character of God in a way that just keeps us grounded, centered, and, and going. That's the people, that's the people that I wanna run with and that's the church that I think we can build. If we will look out, right, inspect uh, for predators, if we will uh, make sure that we are expecting persecution, we live in, in, uh, in light of eternity, and we have a deep respect for God's word. We, I think, as a, as a church, will give much glory and honor to God in this city and around the world. And there will be 15-year-old students with questions who will get to come to faith because of the way this body knows God's word. And I think we'll really, really like our church. And it'll be Sunday, and we'll be excited together together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it kind of helps us understand the warnings, the, the things that we need to look out for, the, the predators that we need to um, make sure don't infiltrate this place and make sure that we don't uh, become. Thank you that um, that you are enough, that if we suffered, if we were persecuted, it would be worth it because even if we lost our life or lost um, respect, we would have you and we would be good. I thank you for our word. Maybe we'd be people who not only respect it, but know it, love it, share it, live it out. Father, we pray these things in your son's name.